podcast has bad words. <laughs> I know, I swear a lot. No, you're totally fine. My Seriously, kid, my kid is rich. <laughs> Truly, she's rich. Like the other day, she had a bunch of hashtags on a on a flyer from the show, and I was like, "What are you doing?" So after the show, I'm like, "Did you have fun?" She's like, "It was a little boring, but you owe me a lot of money." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about? It doesn't count when it's the show because I'm working and I'm paying our life." And she goes, "She goes, nah, the way I see it is there wasn't a script, so <laughs> you chose to say those words. So I'll just leave this here for you to do oh, the math." And so I was good. like, "You're eight, and you're a fucking grifter." <laughs> Please tell me you're recording this. <laughs> That's the perfect start uh, for this. <laughs> Next segment. She's so, like, Dad, a fucking grifter. You owe me another seventy-five cents. <laughs> I did that this morning. I, I, but here's the thing: I felt bad about it because I did it toward Ella because she was just being grouchy and weird this morning. And I look at Bex and I said, "She sure is fucking friendly." <laughs> and like, I, 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 so the second I said it, it's like one of those moments where I'm like, I want to just, I want to bring those words back Take it in. Back. Like, Why did I say that? And, and like. You mean you're not perfect, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think the kid. I, I'm super down with swearing in front of my kid. I love it because uh, I just think it's they're just you know they're just words, and I'm also down with showing her the weakness of me as a human. Do you know what mm. I mean? If you can say to your kid, "You're being an ass," you know, lose yourself, at, so your kid sees that you're not this sort of perfect emotionally unavailable you know what i mean where it's yeah. like you're you're like because it doesn't mean you don't draw the boundaries but you got to let them see you at yeah. your well, worst you're, you're also being consistent man like you are being your true self you're not being two different selves one person does how i am around my kid this is how i am around not my kid like it's better to have it all and one they'll smell you know oh. disingenuousness yeah. like right. kid as you know they yeah. soak it up. i mean like mm -hmm. the, if it's not real if it's not congruent, so yeah. so so there there is you know if you are even if you're trying to discipline them, but you're doing it in a sort of half-hearted, half-ass way, and you're like they they look at you like ah like okay yep. yeah okay I'm sorry right. and, and and they realize like there there's there's an intuition there that for whatever reason we like we. We, we place layers over like there's like cellophane over it after a while and, and all of a sudden we're not um, I'm thinking about this this scene all of a sudden just popped in my head you remember the movie Boiler Room do you remember this it was about like uh, Giovanni Ribisi was in it it's uh, funny I used to love that movie because it's what like it's what made me want to be a, yeah it made me want to be yeah, a sales like Wall guy Wall Street yeah. or something right. like but, that right yeah just like what yeah like Wall Street was another one like yeah I want to get into sales but then like now I loathe it because I'm like fucking movie lied to me <laughs> right right, right. Yeah. And, and so there's this scene where the main character is having it out with his father who's a judge and his father's you know uh, the kids i don't know 22 23 years old and his father's disciplining him and he 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 said why well, the son goes I, I just wish we could have like a relationship and dad goes a relationship I'm not your fucking friend, Seth. I'm your father. Whoa. That's your mother's racket. Um, and is that really the yeah, line? Yeah, yeah. Heavy. And, and th there was this this moment where, like, you realize, like, oh, that's also an identity thing. Mm. Where, where we were talking about identity uh, a moment ago, and the that gets wrapped up in our identity. Like, I am only the disciplinarian. Yeah. Whereas maybe it's also your role to enjoy your kids mm. and for them to enjoy your relationship with them. And it's like, no wonder the things were so screwed up between the two of them. It took 22 years to get to this point of that's your mother's racket. Right. Uh, and, and I don't know, man, I think we, we, we kind of put ourselves in these, 
these boxes and and I don't, how many kids do you have? I just have one okay. very powerful kid. <laughs> <laughs> one very powerful barbarian child. She is the best. Uh, but yeah, no, what you're saying about identity is if we talk about minimalism, we talk about weight and we talk about things that we carry, right? Uh-huh. It's like when you carry your identity with you, this is who I am. That's just like, that is just so much excess stuff to bring into a situation. It's so much easier to go into a situation fluid and be like, I'm dynamic. How am I going to how am I going to interact with this experience right now? Here we go. And we're handed so many identities, right? Like like throughout I, it's one of the first that we when you meet someone, the first thing they say is what do you do? And you know, it's easy to have an answer. You could say I'm a musician, right. but you could also say I'm a father. You could say I'm a husband. Or you could say I'm really passionate about writing and people are going to be like, "Well, okay, well, what does that mean?" Right. And, and because it, that it starts to get unconventional, right? Control, like we talked about. It's control. Yeah. Everybody wants to put boxes together so that the world makes sense. Uh-huh. And it's like, "Oh, you Oh, you Okay, so I know you're a kid. You have I mean, you have a kid. Your hair you naturally your it's like I'm putting you my brain wants to put you in a box mm-hmm. so that I can categorize you so that I can feel safe enough in this experience to know who everybody is, mm-hmm. right? That I just stepped into. And you have to really kick against that Mm -hmm. because it's like you are so much more dynamic than that not that I'm going to even find that out but you put a bunch of rules down in the game and all of a sudden you're limiting it's like um it's like theater when you go up and you're doing improv and someone says I got a spaceship like they say how'd you get here got here in a spaceship if the other person goes like there's no such thing as a spaceship then all of a sudden it's like it stops the momentum if somebody goes I love a spaceship what color is it and they're like it's purple and he's like oh and then this thing goes and it gets beautiful and big and crazy but when you when somebody says there's no such thing as a spaceship it's like I I feel like Andy Kaufman could have pulled that off like him doing improv would have just been him doing that that was his whole thing right Uh, but that's a weird thing too then that becomes part of his identity and then when people change their identity when especially when we do it publicly, it gets, I mean, when I first left the corporate world, so Ryan and I, we had climbed the corporate ladder, you know, living the American dream in Dayton, Ohio. And yeah, uh, Dayton, <laughs> Ohio, man, you know, a hundred thousand bucks goes a long way in Dayton, Ohio. I bet. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so, so we are, we're, we're sort of there, middle managers, age 30 and had an impressive job title. I'm the director of operations for 150 retail stores. And like, that because it was printed on my business card that's who i am as a person when someone says what do you do they are they're actually asking you like oh uh how do you earn money and i'm going to approximate how much you make so i can compare you to me on the socioeconomic ladder we don't pause the question that way because it sounds like a real jerk thing to say so instead we say what do you do Mm -hmm. and and then we can have this little tete-a-tete where you say i i here's the thing on my business card and here's the thing on my business card and there's nothing wrong with having the thing on the business card the the problem is when that is who we are as a person and and there's not there's also nothing wrong with labels we need labels i can tell you this is a microphone right that's a label um i could tell you ryan is a human being to the best of my knowledge (laughs) and 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 that's a label That'll, that'll tell you something but when we continue to compartmentalize label 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 they become less useful. In fact, they, they start to impede the, the, the conversation in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, certain labels will actually prevent a conversation from continuing. It's funny when people ask me, like, what do you do? First of all, I don't really know how to answer that question because it's like we podcast, we do documentaries, we uh, write books. Um, I mean, there's so many different things. I usually just say, I love to snowboard. What do you love to do? 
Yeah. And like, it's a completely different conversation rather than, oh, I'm a documentarian. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, really? <laughs> what documentaries have you done that I know? I mean, it's like, yeah, it just creates a completely different conversation. And it's, it is a closed conversation. We're going to talk a bit about Matt Nathanson's upbeat sadness. But first, I got an article here. Let's read some more about Les. This is, I got this from the Huffington Post. And the writer, her name is Maria Rodale. And it's called 21 Ways to Deal with Sadness. Hmm. Uh, the first sentence is interesting because she says depression gets a lot of press and attention these days, but sadness is a different thing. And I, I just want to point that out early on. Like, there's a difference between being sad and being clinically depressed. Of course. Yeah. Uh, however, in our society, I think we've of, often conflated the two, where any negative emotion, all of a sudden it means I'm depressed. Right. I, 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 I'm not feeling good today means I must be depressed. No, there is a big difference between clinical depression mm-hmm. and, and feeling sad. And and so uh, in this article, she said she wrote it basically to help her deal with her own sadness. I, I think that's kind of a meta there, right? Like it, It's to be able to deal with sadness, I'm going to write about the sadness, but but I think that that helps. In fact, it's one of the first things she says. Like the first thing that she says is, well, here, here's the first thing you can do. You can you can cry, and I think for some people uh, that that can be. I mean, it, with any of these things, this is all simple advice. It's not necessarily easy for me. Crying is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, it's um, relieving though. I mean, like sometimes it's nice to have a good cry. I am, you know, a, if, I am if, a king of crying. Yeah, if you're, if I mean, it's not like I, I don't go to Facebook and post like I just had a big cry. Right. Don't <laughs> ask. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at me. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think well, crying is. Crying. I love it. Yeah. I love. I cry so much from like gratitude. Mm. I cry so much from like on a. I'll just feel moved by something. I, I spend my entire life looking to be moved. So I'll listen to music, I'll read books, I'll interact with people, and I just want the feeling that you get. And there's just some, it happens a lot. Sometimes when my blood sugar goes in a good, I haven't eaten all night, and I go and I eat like a, something good for breakfast that feels good, and all of a sudden you can, it, it just, my mind clears, and I just cry, because it's just so incredible to be able to, it's like, how awesome is this? You know what I mean? Like I need I, more therapy, yeah. man. <laughs> Dude, I should have should have programmed you to cry, Josh. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh <my. laughs> have you seen the Allstate commercial? With, no. uh, uh, there's, uh, it's like this Allstate commercial where, the agent you know like th- their thing is like we our agents have empathy for you and then it's like well here's one of the robo agents and like it was a, a robot walks up dressed just like the all-state guy he goes i have compassion <laughs> oh i can't believe your car like there's a robot like That's crying all over the car but it's like they're spouting out tears oh. and that that is what we're talking about when we talk about social media it's this sort of affected um crying the mm. the the look at me don't look at me or the don't ask thing is don't ask really means please ask right please console me um please please have empathy um but maybe we could just say that too it's funny people don't have the tools man people don't have the tools to to do that and so sometimes it just depends on how much you want to indulge them sometimes you don't have the ability to indulge or, or if they're yeah bandwidth so if like if they're or they're someone in your family and you had to deal with it all the time the last mm. thing you want to do is when they dangle the apple is to be like you want them to learn mm. this is not how you do it and sometimes you don't want to reward bad behavior right. so you don't want to say oh, this person is like fishing and I don't really feel like giving them I want them just to, to be direct and if someone's intimate to you you can say i want you to be direct with me this kind of thing is not working for me i don't want to have to decipher what you mean but when it's somebody that you went to high school with who like you know and and they write you know 
I would never if my one of somebody if something happened to me that was super emotionally I would never it, I'm just not that person I would never post it on social media mm -hmm. but no shade to people that do it's no. just how they want to do it and so it's just however much we want to interact with it you know what I mean but doesn't yeah. it, I think it also it perpetuates the sadness in a way where we sure. where we hold on to it, and then we see other people's sadness, and that makes us sad. Or the opposite is also true. Of course, we want to put our best best foot forward when using social media. I think that makes sense. But what that has led to is we've created this this false patina of like everything in my life is perfect because you see every everyone everyone who's an influencer on social media, <laughs> and everything is so pristine. It, it, their feed almost looks like an advertisement mm. every single time, but you just don't know what they're advertising. I felt yeah. this way about the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga, uh, which I didn't see, but they played the Oscars and they did that uh -huh. song Shallow, Shallow, Shallow. Uh -huh. And then all the footage the next day was like everybody was talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like they did their job. They did their theater. They did the job they're supposed to do. Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper created this thing that was viral for a second where people thought about it. But I also thought a, a, a part of me was like, man, it's just too bad that as a culture, we go to these things and we hold this up on a pedestal in a way that it's some sort of ideal. Like mm -hmm. someone had written, I wish that someone looked at me the way, I wish that I could have, I wish that I wish, I wish and I wish. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's definitely somebody taking the theater and looking at it in, 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 with their lens, which is a lens of unempowerment and a lens of feeling like less than. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it's too bad because it could have just been this experience of like Lady Gaga, like I see it and I'm like, wow, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. I saw the picture and I was like, looks like they did their job. Mm, Do you right. know what I mean? Like they yeah. sold the shit out of that song yeah. to those. And, and the bummer is, is that people can't critically think they might not have the bandwidth, they might not have the ability, they might not have the tools. And so instead of saying, those two people did their jobs really well on stage and I'm feeling something awesome. Instead, they start to see where they're deficient based on two completely fictional human beings. Comparison. Com comparisons, like, yeah. yeah. Comparisons on, a, it's like you just, and this is the part that's such a disappointment. Social media is so awesome mm -hmm. on a certain level. Mm -hmm. And then on another level, I, like anything, I wish that people wouldn't abuse the power of it in terms of, this is a long story, but I feel like humans can't handle power most of the time. They mm. can't handle literal power and actual power in a situation. It corrupts them. And they also can't handle sex and guns and God and money. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like the end. We can't. Technology. Well, this idea. All, their own forms of power, which are. The and and they're <laughs> also amazing when you use them correctly mm. yeah. for yourself. When you use them where they're filling you up, the phone is the best mm. because you can be like, dude, I'm lost or I need a restaurant and I'm in. Dayton, Ohio, and I, I've never, I'm not Thai from nine. here. Go to Thai <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Let's go. Best Thai in the country. But, the, anyway. but uh, really? Yeah, Seriously. Totally, oh, dude. dude, I'm so in. We've but, had Thai food in 40 states and many and, countries. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and it really Thai died. Yeah, I was Thai in Bangkok. Nine. Oh, nine. I thought you said Thai died. I was like, they need yeah. a new name, yeah, I think. Thai nine, I literally was in Bangkok, could not find Thai food better than what they have in Dayton, oh Ohio, God, man. Yes. I, yeah, if, next time you're there, man, I will definitely check out. Definitely go. But anyway, but that's it. Like, all this stuff is great. Like, watching Lady Gaga and Brad. Bradley Cooper fake love each other right. is super awesome because we get to sort of like be swept up in the theater of it. Uh -huh. But then, but people aren't able to then say, this is just theater, my life, how do I, I want some of this in my own life. I'm going to try and actualize this. Instead, they say, I don't have that. And I wish I had that. And I, I'm going to find, but they never do. They just more of beating themselves down. Uh -huh. It's more yeah. of like, I've, I go to kickboxing 21 days a week. Why? I'm not lazy. Why, why aren't I good enough? Yes. Yeah. And, and I think when we're saying, why aren't I good enough? It, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally. 
and, and and why am I so stupid? Why? What an idiot! Like, okay, I'm. Yeah, I'm. That's not. None of these things are empowering. No, and, and they're in fact they're disempowering. And the game, P.S. As you know, the game doesn't want you to feel empowered, which oh, right. is the part of it that if you can understand that, the game can be really fun. Mm. And sometimes I lose the thread of it. But like life, we live in a time where like the we the like social media and all this stuff does not want you to feel anything other than. And so the more you love yourself and the more you can feel like you are the center of your universe, the more that stuff is mm. less important and can be used to its benefit as mm. opposed to the detriment of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like social media creates this void that only they can fill. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. We create the void. That's, it's the same yeah. thing when people say, like, I want to impeach Donald Trump. Like, I don't want to get political on here, but uh, it, Donald Trump is certainly not the problem. He no. is definitely not the solution, but he is definitely not the problem. Totally agree. The problem is on such a large level. It's a symptom of something much. Yeah. We have a much deeper problem, yes. right? Like an inequality and a feeling of your team and my team. And mm. the, the, it's like, this is the, he is this, he is the result of. A much deeper problem. Yeah, yes. there's sort of uh, uh, toxic tribalism in a way. Like, there's good tribalism. Like, oh, I've, uh, I'm rooting for the Utah Jazz to you know, make the playoffs this year. And, or it's like, oh, you have a D next to your name. I hate your guts. Right. It's you're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, uh, what does that... What does that mean? You know nothing about. Well, that no, says everything I need to know about you. Really? It's that box mechanism. You see a D, and you're like, oh, snowflake. Well, like, oh well, and like, there's all these, and or you see an R, and you're like, oh, you know, alt right, fascist. You're right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and circling back to that question that that woman had, when you, what? It's about you. It's you live and you die by yourself. Uh -huh. I'm married, and I love my wife more than I love any. I've never known love until I met my wife and even that took 15 years and it's like we've been together a really long time but the fact of the matter is, is that we live and we die alone and the experiences that I have in my life are with her and they're also without her like they are my experiences of our experience and so if you think that somehow someone else is going to fill you up and going to make it right it's just an it's it is an incorrect way to view the universe you are the center of the fucking universe you are it and it's like you when you interpret things, they're your interpretations. When my wife passes and I'm old and I'm talking to someone about it, I'm gonna be telling that person what my experience with my wife was, not our experience. Mm -hmm. We have these individual experiences. Mm -hmm. And what's great is that we get to connect with people. I get to sit with you guys and we get to get heavy. That's a beautiful thing. But like you go away in your body and your experience and you go away in yours and we go off and we do our things. And once you realize that you are the center of the universe, and that this woman who's taking care of her father, it's like it, the father might be old, he might need help, but it might not be her fucking job. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like her job is to love and treat her, take care of herself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, this is how it works. We get caught up. I had a real blowout with my, my family-wise. I, I have a strange family dynamic, but I feel, I don't, I feel the same way about my kid. I don't feel like my kid is beholden. I don't feel like my kid owes me anything. Mm -hmm. It was my decision and my wife's decision to make a kid. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so my job now is to take care of my kid, fill her up with love, try and help her and send her on her way. But at some point, if I, I, don't, I don't ever wanna feel like she owes me a debt because I've done something that I chose to do and I created this being out of nothing and it's my fucking job. Mm. And so it's like, I don't wanna hold her to some standard when she's older. I'm not her drill sergeant. I am, I am now because she is a child, but when she becomes an adult, 
she is, it's up to her. She can hate me, love me. I'll try my best to be connected to her. I might not like who she's become. I mean, but none of that matters. But we take all this weight and we think, well, my parents took care of me. I need to take care of them. Mm. And it's like on a certain extent, totally. But on another extent, if it's costing you, if it's undermining your love of yourself. Or your well-being. Your well-being, get out. Or find someone else to do the job. Yeah. Parse it out to someone else so that you can get the space back to love your life so you can look at your father and say, you're not a burden. I don't, I'm gonna, what can we do? How are we gonna do this? Yeah. Like, That's a perfect segue to the, to the number two, actually. Is it, well, here's the thing. There's a poem I have here, but number two is write bad poetry. It says or good poetry if you can, uh, yeah. I don't. I guess like if yeah, if you've never written poetry, um, then you're, it's probably going to be bad at first. I'm as sad as a cat <laughs> that lost its hat. <laughs> Are you getting this down? Sean? In my pants, I shat. And in my pants, I shat. This guy, <laughs> lyricist. And I ate so much, I got fat. A poem by Ryan Nicodemus. So that is strong. <laughs> there's um, there's this thing that that I I believe that that good music good fiction and and to a certain extent good poetry can do i don't know much about writing it but but um i know about about reading it i was at the bookstore the other day this is the same day the psychic came to oh, me yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh handed me her card um and i just opened up i i was at the bookstore because i had to to use the bathroom i just I just love like where did where did you get your hair color it's an incredible question. here's my card yeah <laughs> don't you know <laughs> This Terrible whole thing, thing. you've you yeah. Oh, okay. uh, anyway, oh, anyway, anyway so I was I was at the bookstore because I had to use the bathroom, and um, so I just in the poetry books near the bathroom, and so I just opened up this. Uh, you didn't take it into the bathroom, did you? You did it. You're no. telling me you dropped a deuce in the bookstore and <laughs> read the book. <laughs> that is so strong, dude. That is, that is a power move. That, Give me five for yeah. that. <laughs> that is a George Costanza That's move. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. I love um, that. <laughs> There's a uh, uh, Indian Canadian poet. Her name's Rupi Kaur, and uh, she wrote a book called "The Sun and Her Flowers." And while I was standing near the bathroom, I just opened it up to a page, and this poem was there. And I have not been able to stop thinking about it. And ha I've had a dream about it every night for the last week. That rules. And and maybe <laughs> so. Uh, actually, so we we have Matt. Here. Why don't you read this All for right. us, Matt? It's called "The Sun and Her Flowers." In a dream, I saw my mother with the love of her life and no children. It was the happiest I'd ever seen her. Totally dope. No, I love it. And and the thing is like, I didn't know, I w this this showed me a weight that I didn't know I was carrying. Mm. Uh, like I know my mother would have been happier. You know, she's dead now. She's been gone for, for a decade. She would have been happier if I would have never been born. Mm. And that's been a weight I've been carrying. Sure. Now, do I actually know that? No, it's impossible for me to know that, but I know it on some sort of deep down level. And it's like, I've had a dream about her every single night since mm. reading this stupid bathroom poem. That's kind of dope. Yeah, I know it is. I love and, that. And, and <laughs> for real. The thing, the thing that we were talking about earlier is like where, where the things happen off screen, the, the real action, the real celebration is not within the words of the poem. It's between the lines. It's beyond the lines. It's before the lines and after them. And I find that is true as a perfect corollary to, to your music. Like you, you'll have a line that is profound or, or like angry. I wrote down one. That's one of my favorite lyrics of yours. Um, from Queen of Knots, oh but I thought it was You're mean. <laughs> I love this flattering. You you, you said um, 
you're somebody else's baby. You're somebody else's crazy now. Yeah. And I, I totally feel that sentiment. Um, you know, where, where you're, you're like, you're letting go of, of someone or, or something and, and, uh, like I don't have to deal with that anymore, but also projecting all my own insecurities onto the thing at the same time. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about not, not that line necessarily, but about, about something that leads to you to writing something that is maybe mean or angry. Yeah. It's funny. Angry stuff is tough because, uh, again, you want, you, a lot of it comes out bullying, which is not really what I want to mm -hmm. have happen. Again, like knowing my space in the universe and knowing that I'm a, and again, not to say this again, but just knowing I'm a straight white man. I've been in power in the universe of our country and <laughs> our, for a real long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, so for me to go after something in a song and vent is like, that's, it's got to be really done done in a way that doesn't feel like a big bully coming down and telling someone to... Because I've done it before. I've written songs in my earlier period where I didn't know my position. I didn't know how it all worked. And it just sounded like a bully. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you're someone else's crazy. You're someone else's baby. You're someone else's crazy. That's on Queen of Knots. Um, that's a mean... That's just a straight up mean song. I think I was writing a letter to a specific person. I don't think I was. And I wanted to articulate to them... Uh, how how much I didn't like them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, queen of knots, like not, no, 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 and also queen of K-N-O. It's that idea uh -huh. of like, you know... Um, yeah, I mean, even the, the song title has a parenthesis around the K, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and so it's just one of those things. It's like uh, angry songs are tough. Dylan did it really well. When Dylan wrote, I mean, Dylan was the best at it. You got a lot of nerve, like Positively 4th Street, you know, those kind of songs. Mm -hmm. like, Or uh, he was just really good at vitriol and very articulate at taking someone apart. And uh, for some reason, when he did it, it didn't feel like bullying. Why is right. that? I think because Bo Bob... Because he couldn't sing? Or yeah, what? I think... Uh, you, you joke <laughs> about that, but it might be. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he doesn't come off as... Bob Dylan has never come off as a powerful... Uh, he's always come off as the underdog, mm -hmm. no matter how. And so, so oh, and he kind of did that to himself too. We were talking about identity a second ago. He set aside the when he did the whole electric thing. It was like, yeah, you're not going to put me in that box. No, like, he's the I, king of yeah. playing the game. Yeah. I mean, he created himself out of Duluth, Minnesota, and he came in, infiltrated the folk movement in New York, and then owned it. Mm -hmm. Found that platform, and then changed platforms to electric then change platforms again to find he found jesus you know and then he changed platforms again he is so good at playing the game mm. and it's like and then on top of it he is so supremely talented that it's like he's a case study man like he's the best and that's and you gotta love that kind of thing you were saying like we were talking about wall street or boiler room but the idea of like those movies celebrate the guy the person that plays the game kind of in a way good yeah, yeah 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 and and on a certain level yeah like totally people that do that like on a certain level i respect the hustle and uh and and grift of our president sure do you know what i mean like yeah, i really absolutely. do yeah. but it's like but you know and uh, anyway so bob dylan that's i think why because he cre he was always the underdog and he always kept himself in this incredible position mm -hmm. and uh and it was a different time that's a, yeah i've never looked at him that way but yeah it's funny because like with dylan I, I went and saw him in concert like in 2005 or six and it was just like because I was expecting this great Bob Dylan performance. Did he play piano the whole time? Was it the one where he played? No, he didn't okay. play piano at all. Like he just had a band, and the band was like killer. And then like, and he just, yeah, he yeah. just stepped up to the mic, and he was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh. But 
But like looking at his writing though, like yes, like he is he's he is an amazing writer. Oh, dude, and he knows yeah. what he's doing coming up on stage doing his shtick yeah, too. Like he's yeah. a he's a wild ride and it's fun. Prince, I went to Paisley Park on this tour. I always mm. visit like hero stuff and I went and saw Prince's joint. And it's like Prince was another one who just did it pretty pretty great like he played yeah. the game really well and he was why. supremely talented yeah. you know what i mean in a way that was like you know it's so good yeah, yeah. well i well i was gonna say just to finish up on uh, before we jump to number three and number two like writing some poetry or writing some songs or whatever like that's kind of a meditative experience and i think like yeah when you're dealing with sadness maybe it's and i can't tell if this is the same thing or not but having a meditative experience but also being able to like have give yourself permission to lose your mind for a little bit well it, so when you wrote the essays in the book right there's this yeah. feeling that like um you have a goal in mind which immediately puts weight on the on the job mm -hmm. right so if you don't have a goal in mind you can just sort of free form i call it mm -hmm. creative puking right mm -hmm. and then i find it the creative refinement period where you go through the puke and you're like oh my god is this a coin you know what i mean like <laughs> is that a, a piece of corn well, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I teach a writing class and one of the things that we talk about is is panning for gold sure. that's the, the editing process basically yeah. two so very different experiences yeah. right editing yeah. and writing right and mm. so the, the writing part i, I call it uh, to use a, a music metaphor a jam session writing so yeah. like a jam session is never meant to be like really recorded and, and it's it's not the final product you're not going to put that on the, the the compact disc and uh <laughs> <laughs> you, you um you're just sort of jamming you're trying this out and uh, you just Played the drums kind of weird. What what did you do there with yeah? You know, and then all of a sudden, what was that? What chords were that? And and, uh, and you get a melody going, and all of a sudden you have a little bit of something. You have the the beginning of an idea, and you do enough of that, you build up a, a bunch of sediment. And eventually, with that sediment, is when you pan for the gold. Yes, yeah. totally. And my guess is because a lot of the lines that you write, they they seem so sort of. Um, they almost feel like throwaway lines because it seems so nonchalant. But I know through writing, like you've you, you've sort of you've 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 read it, written all the sediment, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, there, there there's the gold. You're yeah, somebody yeah. else is crazy. I can I can I can I can tell I can write a whole book in five words. That's super flattering, by the way. But uh, but yeah, that's it. It's like to me, every morning I try and throw up what's going on in my brain, mm. and then if something I thought you were talking about bulimia. For yeah, a yeah. <laughs> what is going on? That would be a, a, a dark turn, a very dark. <laughs> turn uh, but and then what I do is as I'm writing and not paying any attention if something pops up I'll just circle it and then and then later when it comes time to assemble things to write songs which is kind of a different experience mm. where I'll be like hey I'm gonna go co-write what I'm gonna bring a bunch of information to people how do I do that and I'll go through and I'll look at the circled things and I'll be like oh my god Jaws ruined swimming and you ruined love I was like, oh, I got to take that line, you know, like, and I don't even remember writing it. Do you know what I mean? And like, oh, wow. this is how it works. It's like, you just try and puke out these things. And then if it rings something, you circle it and then you go back and you're like, whoa, man, well done, whoever did that. And then you're like, that was me. Oh my God. Totally. Uh, yeah. There's a book that, that we wrote called uh, Everything That Remains. And it's like my favorite thing we've ever done. And and there are parts of it I, I read and I'm like, who the fuck wrote that? Yes. Like, mm -hmm. and, and and there's this sort of flow state. Ryan talked about writing being being meditative in a way, right? But but to me, like when you get into that flow state, it's like it's the times when you don't want to put your head through the wall. Like, there's that when you're writing, but then there's the other times where you're like everything is is just buzzing. It just feels good. Yeah, you're riding the energy, and this is so hippie. But man, people can do this not creatively in that situation. They can do it in life. Mm -hmm. Like the universe is like humming, and it is doing its thing independent of us. And the more you can dial into to it cats 
dogs, children. These people are, these things are so dialed into the, to the energy of the universe. My kid could sense, your kid's young, same thing, can sense when you are unfeeling not good, when you're pissed. Mm -hmm. You can feel, and then they respond by being, and you're like, why is it, why is my kid being so difficult on the day that I need them to be the least difficult? And it's because they're sucking up your vibe. Yeah. It's like they get it. And so it's like, this is how it works in like the universe. And creatively, it's the same way. So when Bob Dylan sits down, Bob Dylan had no filter because he that muscle was so strong in him. He created so often, Prince so often, and he had none of the doubt that gets in that becomes a blockade. He just enjoyed finger painting and throwing stuff around. And it's like, and then he could then later go back and see. He could say he was smart enough and analytical enough to see with one step removed and go. Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, that's a good line. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And and then this thing happened. You know, and it's like yeah. they, everybody is capable of doing that in their own way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so number three here is listen to music. Now I don't know if I agree with this one. Like when I'm if I feel sad or downtrodden or or whatever, like I don't want to. I don't. Maybe the music can help. But generally, for me, listening to sad music perpetuates the sadness. Okay. Um, I, I I don't know if that's true for everyone. I was I was just thinking of the anthems that you were talking about how you wanted to write. Like yeah. there are certain anthems, like songs they that can I pull you out. Yeah, that I'm like, if I'm feeling down, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna listen to that. I'm trying to think of something like the whole album of Fun, like that one big the the yeah. big album, they, the second album they did, like that. Some nights. Yeah. Some. Yeah. yeah. That's like that's a great album like it is to me like that is uh well it's a great album when i'm feeling down okay if i like i wore it like when that album came out i, I just wore it out like so quickly it's yeah. like as soon as i started hearing some i was like it just turns me off right but like i've, I've had enough distance from it now to where like yeah if i want to you know try to like get myself a beat make myself feel upbeat i can totally listen to that album but i agree L listening to sad songs when you're sad i love it <laughs> i really do i do it. it makes me feel yeah. un not alone it makes me feel incredibly it's like scratching the deepest itch mm. like if i'm feeling super low and i put something on that just articulates something in this in a very good way yeah. like where i go oh yeah i just for it just helps me it just feels like i'm scratching the itch of being yeah. sad or maybe and, like you're not alone maybe like well that, that too yeah. like i feel like i've been understood but at the same time i feel like I am uh, fully indulging in this experience, uh, and it's like it is incredibly. I love it sometimes because songs take on different dynamic to based on how you're feeling, and so sometimes songs that I love that I've heard a million times, I'll hear them differently with a different set of brain moments where I'm like, I'm feeling sad. Why am I feeling? This? And you put something on, and it's just like I've never heard this song this way. And then all of a sudden, it cracks open in this beautiful. It's dope. So yeah, I'm I'm actually I listen to sad songs when I'm sad. I also listen to upbeat songs, anthems. I like it all. But but, but you've done both with, with your music. Like I said, it's upbeat, sad songs in a way, and so it's confusing at first. There there is this dissonance totally. between the the upbeat and pop. I use that word um, complimentary, not, yeah, not not pejoratively. Uh, but especially as you, because your music has evolved significantly from '93 yeah. or whatever, Ooh, right? Yes. Um, and, and so, well, I, I actually we could talk a little bit about that because we had a question about overnight success, um, and and it took you sort of 
I don't know, a dozen or 15 years to have, have you had this big hit after 15 years in. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine it changed things, but it also made you realize that, that certain successes aren't what we thought they were going to be. It's funny, you, there's a couple things you said. Sometimes I think um, my, uh, like I have, a, I have a great career and I love it, but there have been people that have gone so far past me, right, that I envy and that I see them kind of and I go, what did I do wrong? What didn't I do right? Right, that's what your brain wants to say. I'm like, as talented as John Mayer. Why aren't yeah, I John or, Mayer? Or, or, yeah. what, or what did John Mayer do yeah. that I didn't do? And I think I don't know. And and you want to try and solve it, right? This mm. is the big. This is the big thing that our brains do, which is a false thing. But anyway, so um, and so sometimes I think maybe my mistake was that I never I never picked a team. I never picked like a side. I wasn't mm. like William Fitzsimmons who was like, you know, as soon as you say William Fitzsimmons, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or when you say John Mayer, you sort of know, he tried to diversify, but Jason Mraz is another example. You yeah. think, I know exactly what I'm getting with Jason Mraz. Mm -hmm. Like with me, I'm not sure. I think after 11 records, there's been some mixed signals. And it's like, and to me, I've never played sports. I've never been on a team. I don't even believe in the idea of, of team. And I, and almost to a fault, I run away from the idea of like, you're not going to tell me who I am. Like, I, I'm me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's to a fault. And so I think about it from the perspective of what you said about like, you know, sad songs being sad songs, happy songs being happy songs. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's confusing because you don't know. And it's like... um overnight success just to tie it back in sometimes i think that 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 my career has been so uh gradual and long mm -hmm. because i don't think i'm particularly good at uh, i don't particularly like myself and so when you don't like yourself it's really impossible to have confidence in what you're doing mm. so it's really easy to get knocked around by uh, analytical thinking and or other people's opinions about yourself and so as I'm sort of going if a record doesn't do well instead of saying instead of doubling down and being like eh, I love it this is who I am let's move I have in the past said well, I did something wrong I gotta change this I gotta do this better well, when you're saying do well like what does that even mean exactly right? a thousand percent right because before it meant one thing now the record industry has changed so much where it's like um, you We're know. not doing enough singles now. Right, right, right. <laughs> Where's my mixtape? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's streams and playlists and, and, every, and those things can be great um, and, and we can ride that sort of wave of technology, but it's certainly different from cassettes and, and, and CDs and million copies sold. And yeah. I just love how it went from like the, the first original technology, it was the record. Mm -hmm. And then we moved into like eight tracks and then cassettes and then CDs. And now we're back to the record being the cool thing. Well, we, yeah, in a nostalgia <laughs> way, we are for right, sure. Right. And I love, my, I love me some vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's funny how the, the industry changes. This is the other thing. A lot of times people will say, a lot of people have, because of the way the industry's changed, because there's so much less money in it, there isn't really, but seemingly there's less money in yeah, music. Yeah, the record company's making record profits, uh -oh, I by mean, the way. Dude, you, uh, yeah, pull Beyonce aside and tell her there's not a lot of money in music. <laughs> it's just you got to find it in different spots, sure. right? Mm -hmm. And so, but people, people that didn't really want to do this, but wanted to do it because, for the, not the wrong reasons, but wanted to do it because they were filling a void, like they got, they got kind of shat out the back of it because mm -hmm. they were like, 
everybody wants to solve their own problem through external things. So now it's tech. Everybody's got a tech idea. Everybody knows what it, because they think that money's the answer and they think that somehow mm. they're going to, it's a lottery mentality. And music used to have it so huge, man, because there was so much money and people were signing people and you could have somebody like Alanis Morissette put a record out she made in a room with Glenn Ballard and it sells 10 million copies. Mm. And people are like, that's what I want to do. I'm gonna, I could be her. I'm. Right. I, let's do this. Instead of the idea of work and finding what you're passionate about slowly and evolving with it and just kind of rolling. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say that what's knocked me off course has been my lack of confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. It's been definitely because it's made me pull my punches, second guess my moves instead of confidently just doubling down and being like, this is who I am and I'm going to keep, look at how Brandi Carlisle has had success recently mm-hmm. and she's Perfect. never been anybody but her, yeah. right? Like she she made records that, that she just steadily did her thing, made Brandi Carlisle records and here we are. And I have this fundamental need to not be known as Matt Nathanson so I go kick against it. So I'll make a record because I just, I don't know what it is. I think it's like, because here's, uh, I do know what it is and I'm sorry to ramble but Please don't be sorry, man. This is awesome. When you you have an identity that people can identify you with, it's an easy way to promote yourself and it's an easy way to get your brand going. Mm -hmm. But the way that I see it in my damaged self is I see it as a way for people to grab hold of something and identify me with a portion of who I am and then throw me away, Mm. right? It allows people, and because of the way that I grew up, the idea of being tossed aside is my fundamental fear. Mm. The idea of being told, I don't want you anymore. You're not who I thought you were. And so if I give them only one strong version of who I am and I edit out the rest of it, then they're gonna easily be able to say to me, oh, Matt Nathanson, that he does this, this, and it's gone. And the, uh, the, the irony of it is, is that by doing this thing that I think I'm becoming this sort of diverse person who I'm really limiting myself so much more. Mm. It's a fascinating thing. Like the way the human brain creates its own problem that it thinks it's solving. It's awesome. (laughs) I mean, it is the best. I I find that with, with me and Ryan, like, you know, when we get recognized or whatever, it's always like, Hey, minimalist guy. And, um, for me, I, I, I like, the fact that like we are the minimalist as opposed to being you know it's not the the joshua milburn show and and so i have my own interesting version of that that you're helping me unpack right here where where all of a sudden i'm i'm realizing like uh maybe maybe i'm i'm hiding from the fact that like oh it's it's me hey look it's josh yeah as now we're the minimalists, you're right? And I, I can powerful. hide behind the the logo, sort of, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. And your and to see it from another, it's like as the minimalists, as the team. It's why bands, it's why Guns and Roses got together. Mm-hmm. It's like Guns and Roses is a five five very anti-social fucking guys got together in 1985 or 1984 or whatever it was, made Appetite for Destruction, and the gang mentality it helped in such an unbelievable way because the power of Guns N' Roses as a five piece, as those chemical, you too, it's all that stuff. Mm. So it's like the minimalists as a, as a unit, mm-hmm. quite possibly is a much better throw of a punch to knock somebody out than it is to sort of be rabbit slapping them with like the dynamic version of who you are. Yeah. So, so, so like that, that, that it, so in a way, it's it's like it's how all the good ones do it. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it also is the thing that traps all the good ones inevitably because Guns N' Roses don't like each other mm. and they don't want to be a unit. And Axl Rose wants to run the show, and so he sub, you know, so so he breaks apart the thing that is the power, right? And it's it's so the minimalist as sitting with you guys, it's like it's a it's a fucking powerful thing to like you guys as a, as a unit. And I'm just not a team player on such a level that I could never find someone that I wanted to have help me help us mm. move no, I'm, something. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm the most individual sort of, um, I'm an extreme introvert, spend 90% of my time alone. And the other 10% of the time I'm around people that I feel like I can interact with. And, and it's actually much harder for me to be part of a team, but I think much better for me to be part of that team. Hmm. And and thankfully we don't have the Guns and Roses thing. Like Ryan and I really like each yeah, other. You're yeah. such an Axel Rose. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we did the what was it? Uh, New Yorker magazine said that Ryan looked like an aging metal guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> Best backhanded compliment I've ever I received. Mean, that's a strong. <laughs> I, I'm into that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we all want to be unique in some way. I mean, I think for me, like the reason why I leaned into the minimalist thing was because I. I want people to look at me and be like, oh, this is what you're about. So the I have the opposite desire where I want people to know who I am. I'm so much more than just like, hey, I am a minimalist of and I don't course. have a lot of stuff in my house. Like I'm so much more than that. But it is one thing that I feel totally cool with people making because I can, I can create a much bigger conversation than just the stuff that people have when it, but when it comes to minimalism, but you have a confidence uh, uh, that allows you to do that's confidence. Mm, like truly saying. like mm. that it's, you are confident enough and you understand on some level that other people's interpretation of you is important, but it's not everything, mm. right? Because you're able to present this thing to people that you know is just a small sliver of who you are, but you know the greater good of what it's going to result. I, I would not think of myself as a confident person, but I do see what you're saying. It's a confident move, yeah. like for sure. You're to one be. of the most confident people I know, but I think even with confident people that you, you get behind and you get you get deep down, far enough deep down, you know we're all like insecure. Well, you know what's weird is like I feel comfortable at this table with these microphones and the cameras, but if it was just the three of us at lunch... Like I would wild. I, isn't that oh weird? My God, <laughs> like my that. confidence would be so much less like on a, on an intimate setting. Ooh. I don't know why that is. I don't know. I don't, I, man. So Ryan, he, like he talked about earlier, he grew up Jehovah's witness. So like, think about this every weekend for five hours, he had to go knock on people's door who he knew were going to tell him no <laughs> repeatedly. Right. You know what That's my conversion build, rate was? It's Zero. either going to build your confidence or completely destroy you as a human being. <laughs> yes. One or the other. Or maybe both. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's, yeah it's weird. Yeah. No, but no, but it's an unbelievable foundational building situation. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that you went into, and again, armchair psychologist over here, but it's like going into a situation that you know is, is like at best you're going to get of such a slim percentage of people, and you did it. No, no, we're, we're zero percent. Right, twenty-three years. Zero. Zero is pretty made. slim, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it worked for Prince, by the way. Whoever got to his door, oh he yeah, became a Jehovah's Witness right. at a yeah. certain point. Well, but, yeah. But anyway, it's fascinating. Everybody's weird, broken fingerprint. That it's like it creates different things, and mine is distrust of other humans, and and this feeling that like uh, I'm by myself on this fucking island, and I have to scrap for everything I can get. 
and so I never join teams. Mm. And then at the same time, I want everyone to love me so they can't push me away. And then that's kind of how I've built my entire life. And mm -hmm. so if you go deep back to your thing, like wherever the wound is, it's there and you figure it out and you unpack it and it pretty much has, it's narrated, it's the story that you've written for yourself and you have to actively get in front of it to rewrite it. Mm. Yeah, because it is it is just that it is a narrative overlay. Yes. Like like we love to create stories that whether it's with music or, or or with fiction or with movies or whatever it might be, but and and it's always like in these weird like chronological order and um here's our, our David Foster Wallace segment for today. Um <laughs> uh the thing that I really loved about his books it, it, it wasn't that. It was just like it was when you look at a Picasso painting, it's looking at a 3D thing or a 4D thing from two dimensions. And I felt like David Foster Wallace's books were like that. You're like, this happened and yes. then this happened. And the end of the book is the first chapter. And you're like, and uh, his very first novel ended mid-sentence. And like, there's all this irresolvability. But it was much more like real life where it's like, no, it wasn't. A happened and that, and then B followed and then C happened. Nope. Mm. Here's alphabet soup. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chaos in book form yeah. is what it felt like. Mm. Yeah. And there's some sort of like, extraordinary display through the chaos but also like it's ex parts of life much of life almost all life is really banal Boring. yeah and, and being able to communicate that in a way that's also beautiful because just because something's boring doesn't mean it's not beautiful and and, and you, you learn that through meditation like there's this extraordinary experience and there's a banal experience but they're both just happening to me and yes. I'm perceiving them however I want to perceive them. Now, I, I thought about something with you, Ryan. So hmm. maybe there was a weird freedom here. Matt, I'd love to hear what you think about this. So, so Ryan had to go door to door. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I don't know, five years in, you've had all these no's and there isn't a yes in sight. Maybe there's a weird freedom in that because you knew at some point, like I'm never going to get a yes. Oh, It's like, I'm never going to have... Um, the diamond selling record, but maybe there's a freedom in that because now I'm no longer pursuing that thing. And I know with, with me and Ryan, I'm I'm still like, um, course correcting after after a a, uh, a crash, so to speak. But like we had a huge success with a documentary we put out on Netflix called Minimalism, and like it was the biggest thing we'd ever done. I never anticipated that, um, and and now it's like it's easy to fall into well let's do part two let's do it again let's do some mad hope volume two of course i right? did i did i thought modern yeah. love the record after that i'm like and the word i was talking about this the other day you think you you get it when you have success mm -hmm. or you th at an at any point even but you think like <laughs> i figured I it got out it. Yeah. oh my god <laughs> i can't believe this and that is like such the achilles heel of mm. success because it's like it success is um not something you created. It's something that you channeled, right? Yeah. And so if you think that you somehow are the, are the person that's driving the ship, then you're definitely not gonna succeed the second time mm -hmm. because it's impossible because it's about being wide open and honest and not carrying shit with you into the creative situ experience. Mm -hmm. It's about you being the conduit for th whatever it is. And once you think you've got it on lock, you it, it you just by definition do not like, yeah we, we often try to talk about having lower lowering your expectations raising your standards yes and, and because the expectation is well you know if the last record sold a million i need this one to sell two million because mm. what's better than platinum double platinum <laughs> <laughs> and, and 
and then all of a sudden it's like, well, how do I, okay, how do I, how do I create double platinum yeah. Yeah. as opposed to like, what's my standard? Like, how do I write a really good line? How, mm -hmm. how do I write a, a melody for you? Or, or, or what does a great chapter look like? How am I going to add value to people's lives? Like that's a high standard. Mm. And, and because here's the thing, like the, the John Mayer thing, your music, it does for many, many people what John Mayer's music does for those people, right? Or, or what Dylan did or, or whomever, right? And then, uh, you know, Brandy Carlisle does for my wife. Like, my, my wife, like, is her favorite artist in the world, right? Yeah, right? And so I've been to a bunch of her concerts as a result, and it's been great. It's like, it's brought me into to the fold as well. And what, I, what I've learned through, through all of this is like, man, instead of having an expectation going into the creative process, why not just want to create something that well that I'm going to be happy with obviously yeah. but also that's going to add value to other people I think what I, I think you need both yeah I think what I like what I always ask myself is like what do I want to communicate because if 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 it was like oh we want to do minimalism part 2 like that that says nothing to what I want to communicate right. that just is me trying to replicate success yep yeah right and and and, and the other thing is the idea that uh uh it's it's kind of gone but it's it was right. this idea no but I was just thinking about it I was like um <laughs> it's about any weight minimalism what i think is so great about what you do is like on a certain level there is this idea of paring down things right which mm -hmm. is how everybody sees it us mm -hmm. and then then you go deeper into this idea which is how do you not carry weight with you mm -hmm. right how do you walk the world with um with a lightness and a and a freedom mm. and entitlement and expectations are like the biggest you might as well put a backpack full of bricks on the biggest you're, anchors you're dragging it forward you shouldn't drag anything forward and you shouldn't anticipate anything that's going to happen absolutely because it's like you you might i might walk out of here if i don't have the best time i can have here with you guys by being as present as i can be if i'm thinking about the show tonight and anxiety about it i might walk out of here slip get hit by a bus and die. And then what did I do with the last two hours of my life? Mm. I fretted about something I never even got to do. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it's exactly, or if I drag expectation or entitlement into a current situation with somebody, it's just weight and it's just, you're essentially, you're, it's seeding, you're seeding the experience. And it's mm -hmm. like, just, you can't do it. Yeah. I'm gonna read a few more of these here. Uh, number four said, get dressed. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see. I get pretty sad. I feel like myself naked in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you, yes, know, you know, it's well, it's funny though. Like, like why are my balls bigger? <laughs> As I get older, my testicles are dropping. What's up with that? What that sucks. <laughs> well, I, I know, like when I get when I've been depressed or been sad before. I don't know if it's truly been like chemical suppression in my brain, but like, yeah, it's sometimes you don't want to leave the house. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I'll just sit around in my boxers all day long, and it's like. I'll go, you know, a couple days without taking a shower, and I finally take a shower, and I'm like, oh, "Why didn't I do this sooner?" Yeah, yeah. Showers are yeah. the best. Yeah. I, I've, I've said, like, "Thank God for technology that created water pushing through a tube in right. my face." Like, it is the greatest, one of the greatest joys of life. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, the next one is go outside. So, I mean, really, what we're talking about here, whether it's get dressed or go outside, or there's some other ones in here that are like walk, run, ride, uh, get out in nature. 
what what she's really saying here scene is change yeah change your state you change your physiology mm. even change the scene the geography and changing geography might just mean getting out of your apartment uh -huh. yeah now you all of a sudden you're confronting new geography even if it's snowing outside and you're like okay like i can actually feel this this is what it feels like to feel alive well you talk it's not lot, always pleasant you talk yeah. a lot about like when you're depressed you do depressed mm -hmm. and there are legitimate depressed people like chemical suppression of like you um, know the of, of dopamine and serotonin or whatever like, but even though you are depressed the more that you don't do depressed sitting around in your underwear not taking showers not getting outside like the more that you change your state and don't do depressed like the the more of a chance you have of pulling out of it sooner i'm not like these are not you know these aren't the magic bullet answers to someone who's depressed but it can certainly help change your state which can help you pull out of that well that and don't state. even get me started on eating well don't oh get man! Me started on like well, exercising, holistic you've, eating. You've read ahead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> number sixteen is don't forget to eat, but not too much. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and or don't or or eat things that are like again. When Nourishing. I'm feeling good, I want to have good things, and mm -hmm. when I'm feeling low, I want to eat pancakes. Right. And it's like, and not that pancakes suck. Pancakes rule. Yeah. But like, you cannot build your entire life on pancakes and pizza. Right. But it's like, Tweet and, that. and so but, but what I'm saying is like, they have, it's just like power. It's just like technology. Like cake has a place and it rules. But if cake becomes a crutch that you use to make yourself repeatedly, it means you're doing, it's like you're doing your, your body, you're disrespecting your body on a level. And you're also disrespecting your mind. That's uh, most of my depression as a kid was probably, was more than not based on how I did or didn't eat. Like how well I did, how I, I didn't, consistent. And then once I started doing that and then adding in physical exercise, all of a sudden it changed, I would say 90% of my desire to hang from like the, like, and and also like locking down on loving my wife and loving myself. And, and now I haven't thought about hanging from a fucking like a, a sprinkler head at a hotel in, you know, and I used to think about it all the time, wow. right? Because it's like, it's like just how it worked. You'd get super boxed in and you're like, I'm just going to, I got it. How does, can this belt hold my weight? I'm going to do it. What triggered that? Like, and, and it was, it, it's it's a feeling of being trapped for me. It was this feeling of like whatever it was, right? Whether it was like being a shitty husband and or feeling like I was chasing after something that didn't want me, but I couldn't get it to want me. Why don't you want me? I don't get it. Success or whatever. It could be a person. It could be a thing. Then all of a sudden you become trapped. And, it, it, and again, and in being trapped, you're like, well, how can I exert control over the situation? Well, I can just fucking do this. Mm. That's yeah, the way. Despair says something sort of about about the future, right? We're sad because of what's happened in the past, whether it's recent past, far back past. And despair is like, well, I don't feel like I can change this. Yes. I I'm trapped. I'm going to drag this forward with me. And this is my identity. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to emerge. Mm -hmm. And and it's a real thing, man. Your brain fucking, when your brain hates you, when your brain revolts it's impossible to fix it that's why changing your scenery that's why getting up and moving your body all that stuff it dislodges you from the non-reality that your brain has created that tells you whatever it is that it tells you mm -hmm. and, and again not when you're clinically depressed when your brain is broken and it want, it's a much different thing but yeah. in the situation like that yeah there, there was one in here about being around people right and um, for me I don't even know where it's at right now but but I'll talk to someone, number 12. Uh, for me, it's it, talk to the right someone is, is, or maybe said better, like surround yourself with the right people. Because for me, if I'm feeling despair, or if I'm feeling sad, I often want to be by myself 
or I think it's better to be around people who are empowering because you can surround yourself with the wrong people and it's going to stress you out more, make you more sad. Humans are, are we are, uh, humans are, this is super, but we are essentially just, um, what's the word? We, for each other, um, like, here's the deal. If I want to go, if I want to drive from here to San Francisco, I get in a car, right? I don't buy a cow. Right. If I want milk, I don't go to my car. Uh-huh. Like we are all resources mm-hmm. for each other. And you have to identify the resources that you need at the time that you need them. And you have to understand that like sometimes you want to find somebody who commiserates with you and is a friend that wants to sit down and be like, life sucks, doesn't it? Sometimes that's great, mm-hmm. right? But you don't want to then go to that person when you're in a place of feeling really bad. And you, you know what I mean? Like you have to find your resources and you have to figure out who's going to be able to help you. It's like music on a certain level. You don't want to go to, if the, listening to a sad song when you're sad doesn't work, don't fuck do it unless Mm -hmm. you want to get more sad Mm -hmm. humans are the same way all we are are resources to each other and so if you go to the cow and you ask it to drive you to san francisco (laughs) and you try and milk the hyundai it's like you're only going to be bummed out it's only going to cause you (laughs) like a level of dissatisfaction that you've never experienced why isn't this working (laughs) yes like and you keep doing it and this is how humans do it yeah and and that that perpetuates the discontent and 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 then there's that what we call the crazy eight pattern right from sadness to angry so anger and then enough anger leads to sadness and then enough sadness you get mad because you're sad why doesn't anyone understand me damn it yeah <laughs> and then all of a sudden like no one understands me i did and and, and it perpetuates itself yeah. right and like yeah. and so some of these things we're talking about today are really ways just to break that that pattern the last thing that the and we'll put a link to this article here because uh, we didn't get to uh maybe even half of it be grateful for the experience and and mm-hmm. um I, I think you know we we can often say you know gratitude is the attitude and any other sort of uh, uh truisms and um the the thing that we were talking about earlier though is we're going through the experience it's a happy experience it's a sad experience you can't have the mountaintops without the valleys you can be grateful for both there's a sort of landscape of life and and you're not going to experience perpetual peaks because that's not a peak anymore. That is turns into a plane. Indi- it's Indiana. Yeah, that is flat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 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 there there are there are no peaks there. And yeah. and that's okay. It's okay to go through life like uh, you know, a Zen Buddhist and ha- have sure. they have a certain thing figured out. But I don't know. I I, I kind of enjoy the peaks. Yeah. Well, and the idea that um you were saying Queen of Knots right is a song about this one person specifically that I wrote, and I hated this person for a really long time. And at a certain point, I totally gained gratitude for this person. But there's a problem when people say like, "Be grateful for your surroundings." It's it's it, it, you put um that puts a real weight on a lot of people. Feel that as like a challenge. Like, why don't I feel grateful for my surroundings? Oh. I'm not doing this right. I, I this person feels grateful. I can't. I, I'm not grateful. I'm mad. And it's like, and then you add on this layer of hatred of yourself, like where you're like, well, I can't even be grateful for something that's good. And it's like that is the antithesis of what you want to be doing. You are adding adding more shit to your plate. Mm. It's like, so when someone says you gotta, that's why the pithy is tough sometimes because it's like, you've gotta be grateful. You're like, or, or you're not, she, that's how I interpreted it. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what you said, yeah. but I interpreted, we well, gotta be grateful for every day that you, and it's like, fuck you, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like, and sometimes being grateful is fucking hard. Yeah. And so like, like, it's not just easy to do it. And so, it's again it's about bandwidth it's about stretching we talked about hip flexors and hamstrings and we <laughs> joked about it and no ass and all this stuff and the idea but if you don't stretch if you don't stretch you will never do it 
and yeah. you will never be able to you'll never be you you will constantly get crunched down by your own body and so it's the same thing with this kind of thing if you keep crunching yourself about i'm not grateful enough you're never going to be able to open your chest and you're never going to be mm. able to you're going to throw your back out mm. and you're going to throw and you're going to be fucking have to get a, you know surgery at some point in your life you have to slowly but surely stretch yourself to the point of where you can actually have gratitude I saw this person that I wrote that song about on a plane and I wanted to fucking jump out the window. I wanted to jump into, she was on a plane with me and I was so, dis- I, I hated her so much and it's like, but that took seven years for me to get to the place where I was like, dude, if I'd never met that person, these experiences would have never happened. But if I had then weighed on myself and been like, I had no gratitude, for, I, I just mad, at, I hate myself, I can't believe it. That's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Right. Like, stop. Ryan and I had uh, we worked the same corporation together um, and we had this boss who was a tyrant I don't know how else to really explain but he was a tyrant and um, he he was just constantly like yelling and, and nothing was ever good enough and and certainly didn't enjoy working for him <laughs> but uh, 10 years later I have a certain gratitude because I think He's one of the big reasons I decided to leave, right? And maybe I would have waited it out another 10 years and climbed a few more rungs and been a C-level yeah. executive. If you would have had a really nice boss, yeah. yes, you would have been there so much longer. I'd, I'd probably be there now yeah. and, and I'd be the you know the vice president of who gives a shit. Right. right. And, and I, I wouldn't be content with that because I wasn't content before, but the guys who I aspired to be like, the closer I got to them, I kind of realized like, Oh, like I'm aspiring toward the wrong thing. My my ladder's up against the wrong building. But walking away from it in, in, in distance has helped me create a gratitude for and, and realize like yeah, he was going through his own battles too. Like Ooh, yeah, the he- empathy health thing problems. Is heavy, right? When you realize yeah. that like the person when you when you realize that like if you can find empathy for Donald Trump and I, again, I don't mean to make this political, but it's like he's a great example because everybody hates him or loves him. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you can find empathy for like, man, it must be incredibly, what a, that, whatever happened to that guy that made him who he is. Uh, and if you can find empathy for those people, then all of a sudden you don't want to punch everybody out. Right. Like it, and I'm a, I come from a punch everybody out background. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Yeah, I, dude, I still feel like that. The empathy is, uh, it's strong for me with LA traffic, man. Oh yeah. It's just like when someone cuts me off, I'm like, hey dude, they're in a hurry too. Or like, we're all in a hurry. No idea what the, when they honk at yeah. you, I used to be like, I'm going to get out of this fucking car and pull you out of your car. And it's like, you think I didn't see the green light? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> but people, and then my wife will be like, but what you know, when they say it's not about you, you have finally understood what that means, right? Mm-hmm. This person, you just, ex- you don't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, it's about right. this person's interpretation of the universe. And so you're not actually you. Mm-hmm. And I go, yes, I get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I was like, I am me. I would never do that to someone. Why would someone do that? And I only do that when people are fucking idiots. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you get it and you're like, oh. And then all of a sudden when you can get to that place, it's way more minimalist in the way that you can exist. Well, you can, you, let, you can let go of those feelings that weigh you down. Like I don't have to carry the traffic with me into the studio. Yes. Yeah. And you can be in the traffic and not, if you spend your time grinding against the traffic, that's like not a way to live your life because you could get out of your car, get hit by another car and die and then what did you spend your last chunk of time doing? Being pissed off about yeah. the... Just put on a podcast. Do you know what I mean? Or put on an album you love or, or you know, whatever. It's like, it's it, we make it... So, we create almost 90% of the problems that we experience mm-hmm. and it's like, 
I, you know, granted, other people have, there's real problems. But like in my life, I have found, I'll only speak for myself, that 95% of the things that have thwarted me, I've built. Yeah. 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 And, and the, all the things that we're carrying with us that are weighing us down, we pick them up at some point. Yeah. And we also can give ourselves permission to set them down. Sometimes it's difficult to set them down because sometimes it's not just stuff. It's the stuff beyond the stuff. It's the relationships. It, 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 Ryan, you were talking earlier about you know the, being the minimalism guy. People will see you as the minimalism guy, and that's one sliver. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about minimalism is it has been the, the sort of Trojan horse to get us in the door to talk about these other things. Our next book we're working on is called Love People, Use Things, and it's about the eight different relationships in our lives. And, and 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 really relationships aren't just people that's one type of relationship but we have a relationship with technology we have a relationship with money we have a relationship with our values and they all just sort of get co-mingled together in this box that we put together and then we cover it up with a bunch of stuff in our lives right and so i think with minimalism the the thing is it starts with the stuff and so we could talk about that but we start dealing with this external clutter then we look inward and say oh there's some psychological clutter there's some mental clutter spiritual clutter emotional clutter this internal clutter that's going on here and we can start by by having that trojan horse of minimalism and i think with you the the trojan horse has been music in a way because i look at you as a writer who happens to be a really talented talented musician and, and and so for you the way that you instead of you know publishing books or whatever not that you're not capable of that you found you found the medium that, that the medium that right. works best for you and so you're able to sneak in uh, in a way sort of not relationship advice but observations in a way that are that are poignant that are um i think that are powerful and that, that hold uh, when done well they, they they allow the person to sort of hold up a mirror and see that in their in in their own life. That's nice. Yeah, I, I and for me, music is the most potent of the art forms because it it for me it it it's not it, it's not visual art. It's not reading. Yeah. It's like so. It's not a movie. It's like it's a very quick punch. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it does it. But it's a hard punch. You feel it in your bone yeah, marrow. When it's when done, it's when it's song. done well, yeah. if you feel it on a, yeah, on a cellular. Yeah. But 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 the, and the other thing, one more thing we were talking about, but the idea of judgment as a weight, right? Like judgment um, puts a distance between you and and everything, right? Like so, when you judge something, it distances you, and that distance um, is a weight. And that, and this is the thing that I think I struggle with the most is how do I not judge not only myself, which is where it starts, but how do I not judge other people for mm-hmm. doing and living their lives in ways that I wouldn't? Or like when I see somebody be hypocritical or when I see someone not treat their body well or when I see... So so uh, what I'm trying to do is in, our, in life is trying to get rid of that weight of like my judgments uh, against myself and then against other people because I'm bringing... It's bringing so much... Uh, it's convoluting everything. Do you well, know? Yeah, yeah. Also realizing people are different too. And, and so when, when you're saying, why didn't you do this the way that I do it? It's like saying, I really like a green Ford Taurus. Why don't you drive a green Ford Taurus? Right? How boring would the world be if it was a sea of green Ford Tauruses? <laughs> oh, this horrible. is the thing, right? Like it would be Dystopian. the worst. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, what's what's the line about judgment? Uh, uh, judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. Yeah, so like when I judge someone, it's really about me thinking like if I was that person, I was doing that, I would really feel shitty about myself. How come they don't feel shitty about themselves? It's yeah, it's it's a it's an endless sea of judgment out there if you let it be. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Well, let's talk about a few more things. We have some, some questions. We have this question from Tina from Patreon. Tina says, can you discuss how you personally get out of your funk when you're dealing with despair, loss, and sadness? Well, we talked about the 21 ways to deal with sadness. Is, is there, 
Are there any rituals or, or habits that you have in your life where you're like, okay, I'm feeling sad today for whatever reason? Go for a walk for sure. Yeah, get yeah. in nature. Yeah. I totally agree with that. We have a big hill behind our house, a, a park in San Francisco, and I'll just like get up get as much as I don't want to do it and just get moving and get my blood pumping and walk up and you know, not exercise per se, but just like moving my yeah. body. It changes. But well, it's funny. You, so you don't even give it the label, even though it is exercising. Yeah. You're like, I, I don't want to give it that label because uh, to uh, to me, exercise is you know, going out and kickboxing for 21 days or whatever. There's a lot of weight attached to the yeah. idea of exercising. Right, right. The, so yeah, it's easier to just get up and move. Yeah, primal yeah. movements. You yeah. know what I mean? That's like what it's about. Like I'm going to go walk up here, and and my wife and I connect way better when we're when we walk. We spent most of our lives like going on walks together, and if inevitably if we dial into it where sex occurs after a walk mm. because it's like you're so fucking dialed into each other and dialed into the things and you've let go of all this stuff and then you get home and you're like let's fuck do you want to yeah. fuck <laughs> like that is awesome and it's yeah. the best like it's it, it really is I, lo I love being in nature like we were uh, Mariah and I we went to see the super bloom which is going on oh, right sure. now like did you go yeah it's nice. it incredible man but like there was a certain point where well, at first, you can't get away from human noise. Like, there's this beautiful, you know, these beautiful blooming flowers. It looks like the hills are, like, set on fire. It's just, I mean, surreal. Like, you feel like you're in virtual reality because mm -hmm. it's, like, the, the, the orange is, like, so blinding. It's mm -hmm. so bright. And, like, it, it, we were walking, and Mariah's like, isn't it weird, like, how you can't get away from human noises, like, even in a place like this? I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. So what we did is we went on, like, one of the really, really long trails that goes you know, it's like two, two and a half miles to the, to the end of the park or whatever, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, like we lost the human noise. Like for, there was a brief period where we were like, oh, here it is. But like, there's a certain point where like for a brief moment, I'm like, what are the poppies telling me? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, I mean, obviously I'm not going to sit there and listen to, you know, what are the poppies telling me to do? But there is something well, you might depend on what state you're in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but no, I mean, but but the idea of what are the you know what is nature telling me to do? I mean, really, that's kind of how I look at it. And like having that grounding moment with and like getting all the human noise out of the way, like that is to me that is a really powerful way to to just be honest with yourself and and like really kind of lift yourself up out of a funk yeah. for sure. It's, it's funny when you when you say you were talking about the waking up app earlier with Sam Harris. I remember specifically on day seventeen. I realized, like, I walked into this coffee shop, and the thing he often says is, like, this is all appearing in consciousness. Mm -hmm. But, like, I actually felt it. Like, not the language behind it, but the actual feeling. Like, I was in this coffee shop just seated there, and everything was appearing at once. You know, the sounds, the, the feel, the, the warmth of the coffee. Everything was just appearing in consciousness. And there's a weird sort of profundity in the banality of that moment. Like, mm -hmm. there's nothing particularly remarkable about sitting there having a cup of coffee something i've done a million times but in this moment there was something remarkable about it yes because yeah. it's fucking remarkable dude yes <laughs> like you literally went into a building that people built out of shit and then drank coffee that people made that someone farmed i mean it's all real awesome uh -huh. do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. and the feeling that you get when you, i've never had coffee right i've never drank it but when i drink something that i want that i like i perfect cup of tea that is magic man i mean that is like the best yeah. and so you d it is profound that, that's what's crazy you go to samovar a lot yes yeah, i yeah, love yeah. samovar there used to be one down the street from my house but there's one um 
Yeah, kind the of, one that was in the Castro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah that's yeah, it. We, we uh, uh, Jesse, Jesse, the, the, yeah. the owner, he uh, he's in our documentary. Um, we actually did a few interviews at Samovar yeah. there. He's like, yeah. what, he's him and like Leo Babauta, like they're just people who like you get around and you can't help but like to relax. I dig those kind of things. <laughs> just, I really do. You can be so stressed out and it's like you get around them and you're like, I have to relax right now. They're, they're, they're like, they're like, uh, they're like exuding melatonin or something, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. dude? And I always say they don't sweat when people like that. Like I, I love when people when I feel like sometimes I resent them greatly. Uh, <laughs> oh, but yeah, but yeah. like when you see someone at the airport in Those sort ones of he writes songs about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you see flow, someone in flowing, you know, things kind of pulling their thing and just taking in everything. And there's something so serene and it feels like they don't ever ramp up to the desperation level, which is impossible. Again, it's my fantasy creating something on top of them. Right. But it's really like what is the what's the root of it is, man, I wanna I wanna live my life enjoying my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want to you know, enjoy that cup of tea or coffee or, or whatever. Or that sadness. Right. I wanna enjoy my sadness. Yeah. Like I wanna fucking feel it. Like and then I wanna move through it. And then I wanna you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's like constipation uh, of the soul. You know what I mean? It's like, how great is it when you, and this is but like when you sit down and you have to shit and there's a toilet and you sit down and you shit and you wipe and it's barely anything there. You get up and you're like, I love life. <laughs> you feel like you're dialed into like the universe. Like you can edit this out, but it is like one of the greatest feelings of all time because you're like, I needed to do something. I did it. I feel free from that. It's gone. And I just flushed it and it, Literally, I didn't have to do it in the street. I didn't have to do it in the woods. I did. That someone created a thing that I can sit on that gets it and takes it out. We went yeah. to this in our neighborhood. There's a there's a sewage plant, and we did like a tour. My daughter and I and my wife because it's so fascinating that like they've created this infrastructure that makes our life so easy. Uh -huh, and yeah. it's like how rad is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and and we get to benefit from it three times a day if we're doing it right. But right. you see, you, you, so your daughter sees that, right? It, everything is remarkable to the young to, to younger kids and as, as we get older it becomes less and less remarkable i mean when ella was three like everything was was like such a surprise and you know so many questions and inquisitive and i don't know that i mean maybe part of it is this sort of uh industrial system we've set up with the school system and everything that that makes people you know raise your hand and wait till you're called on and if you're fidgety we prescribe medication for that and and so it's somewhat programmed out of us but also like we don't care being wrong when we're three we're, we're wrong about everything and it doesn't matter but at some point Especially in the high school years, like you, you don't want to feel like you're wrong about anything. Or you get banged shut. That's the thing. You get banged shut. Like you, you start with such a wide swath, and you're like everything is real cool. And and that's the key to having a kid is you try for as long as you can to stop them uh, from being banged shut by the universe, by life, not by the universe actually, by the structure of life. Mm -hmm. You try very hard to be like, you know what? Like I know that those clothes feel uncomfortable, and so let's find some that aren't. Or hey, let's do this move that's going to help you figure out how to wear your clothes and not lose your mind, right? Yeah. Or I know that you don't like that food. Let's find something. How, how are we going to do that? And so that like, and then you help them help themselves, so that they they can create habits that then allow them to deal with the uncertainty of it all, because it is wide open and uncertain. 
and yeah. we don't have any, we don't have any control. Yeah, embracing the uncertainty too is like I think that's one of the magical powers oh, I have. Dude, this <clears throat> might be this might circle back to your thing because that's a yeah. gift, man. I would kill to be that way. Yeah, it's it's like it's a very what what is it Pavlov's like the, the, the hierarchy, hierarchy needs. needs yeah. yeah. Not Maslin. Yeah, Maslin. <laughs> Pavlov. Pavlov. No, no, no. You know, yeah, yeah. Who is it again? So it's Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, yes. Maslow's. Like one of That's them it. is uncertainty. And like that is definitely like high up on my list. Like having, well, I think uncertainty leads to variety too. So well, if you can handle the the tumult of uncertainty, that's yeah. like a superpower. Well, <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said about curious adults because it's it's not that common, right? And so I see someone like like Ryan who's able to deal with. In fact, I remember back in the corporate world, he was able to deal really well in stress. In fact, he did best in stressful situations. It's kind of like uh, Michael Jordan. There's three minutes left. We're down by eleven. Don't worry, I got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ryan, like, number one ma- sales manager in, in, in the company, and like, but it would always be like the last three days of the month. Uh, up until then, he was like in the bottom third, and he's like, "Don't worry, guys, got this." And like, just go in and and do whatever he had to do. And I'm the exact opposite. I'm like pre-planning, and like, as long as the first seven days of the month are good, then <laughs> yes. you know, I can coast from here. And, and uh, there's this this yin and yang thing that goes on, but curiosity as an adult leads to that sort of that childlike variety that you get you you did a uh podcast with pete holmes which i i love oh, that, that conversation so it was so good dude Sean, i just started watching crashing okay it was uh, it's an unbelievable yeah, show, he's man. the best so good so and, and well the thing i like about him is he's so curious yeah. and and I, I can tell it's probably not something that comes natural to him, which like is gives me hope because what he realized he, he had and, and you know he, he was like you growing up very religious and he felt like you know, the the curiosity was sort of stamped out him the, the, they slammed the door on him mm-hmm. and then when he sort of started to unravel from that like he started asking these these questions I think that's why I like crashing is because it like it shows him like letting go of these like fundamental Christian things that he has grown up with. And he's like, and it's chaos. Yeah. That's right. A lot of chaos because I I can relate with that feeling of like, you want to let go, like you let go, but you're like, Oh, should I let go? You know, like you're flinching to that when you let go, because you're letting go of the certainty, the, 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 whatever template you were given, whether it is religion or, or a political party, you're like, here's your certainty. If you just believe this, then you're going to illusion. Yeah. Certainty. It is absolutely that it it is an illusion. And once you get past the illusion, you start asking these questions. And what I like about Pete is he is curious, but, but I don't think it comes natural to him. And, but in a weird way it does, because it comes natural to all of us. We were all curious at one point and then we just have to be curious again. That's where you find that variety. You find that uncertainty and Mm. you can, you can learn to live with, with that uncertainty. Yeah, man. You know, I have found just along the religious lines of like, you know, being raised to believe like God was the creator. There was Adam and Eve mm. and this is the story. And Satan tried to tempt Eve. Now Satan has his own playground because he tempted. I mean, it's like, this is a story I was told and thinking anything else, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But as soon as I embraced that discomfort of, you know what? I'm going to like just pl- toy with what if this actually didn't happen? Mm. Like that is, it's one of the most freeing feelings in the world. Like allowing yourself to toy with these very uncomfortable thoughts. And I think it works on both sides too. Some of the the like happiest or most content Christians I know are also the people who 
toy with those thoughts as well. Right. They come up to it with a different conclusion from what you, maybe you came up with, but they got there in a way that was a bit more rigorous than, well, here are the beliefs I have to believe, and I better not question these because uh, I built a house of cards. Right. No, it's steel manning your sort of argument of so that it becomes, you, know, you, you, you feel better about the argument that, or not the argument, but you, the, you feel better about your beliefs, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, we got a couple more questions here. Jay Dubs from Twitter says, at what age did you stop comparing yourself to your mentors and heroes in order for you to be happy with who you are? Do you ever stop? I don't ever stop comparison. I, yeah, no, it's a comparison is 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 really frustrating, uh, and I don't and I haven't stopped. But I'm I'm definitely like shedding that uh, yeah. as I get older. That's what happens in the 40s. That I I again I did never subscribe to the idea that the 20s had a certain thing and the 30s had a certain thing and the 40s. But at least for me, the 40s have really led to uh, I really am caring less and less about uh, other people, and that I'm really only striving to better something than what I did already. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I want my next yeah. record to be better because I want it to be better than the last record I made as opposed to I want it to be better because this is success those people do that so it's yeah. a it's a forever it, I, yeah I think it's always going to be there I mean for me it's how I deal with those feelings of comparison so instead of like you know envying someone's picture on the beach in Australia or something like I might say to myself oh that's cool I hope one day I can be able to do that but like I don't let that pull me in a different direction than I was already heading. And I think that's where the comparisons really yeah. start to mess people up is like, you're heading, I'm going this way, I'm going this way. And then you like, you look over and you're like, Oh no, 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 I'm going this way. I'm going this way. And then you look over and then it's, you can never actually choose a direction because you're constantly comparing yourself to others. I think comparisons are important because in a sense, like it gives you something to shoot for, you know, the person going through the airport who is just like, life is just hanging off of them and they're enjoying every single moment and taking it all in and all the bad stuff is just, you know, being deflected. Like, yeah, that's a fantasy. But I mean, it's not it's not horrible to like shoot for that. It's not horrible but to aim for that. It's also only coming from you. Right. So it's yeah. the same thing of like when you're driving in traffic and you're pissed at somebody because you think they're an idiot. That's coming from you. It's yeah. the same thing. It's like that person is a mirror for the thing that you it, it, it's just like what your partner is. They give you a reflection back of what it is that you actually want. So when you see someone and you project on them this experience, you say to yourself, well, that person doesn't actually matter in this situation. What matters is like, apparently I want an ease of use in my life that I have not given myself. Mm. How do I go about getting that? I want to not sweat my Ooh. way through the fucking airport. I so like that, it's, man. It's, it feels like, and that's, and that's what's so great about other humans, but what also makes them inconsequential because th that woman could have been anyone. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's me. I'm telling my story and I'm using people as, a, as, a, as either to hate myself, love myself, or grow. Yeah. And it's like, well, dude, when you start to compare yourself, you can ask that deeper question of like, why am I comparing myself? What is it about this person that I want? And why do I want that? Uh -huh. And yeah, when you start, the why is so important too, yeah. because we often think like before we turned all the mics on and stuff, we were talking about like uh, doing shows at Bogarts and it's like, <laughs> Ryan was like, I was uh, as dude, a my kid. My first concert. Yeah. I saw Bogarts. It was uh, Everlast opening up for Sugar Ray, which I went there to see Everlast uh -huh. and had no idea that Sugar Ray is actually a freaking awesome performer. Like he oh, did. A, he Mark did a, McGrath is one of the best. Did an amazing show. I was like, oh, like this is why Everlast is opening up for you. I mean, but, but anyway, it's like, you know, watching, Watching that that concert and thinking like maybe one day I'll be up on the Bogart stage, 
and, and then you were and by the <laughs> way everything that could have went wrong went wrong right um and the sentiment was still there though i was still able to appreciate like well, I am yeah. here, Bogarts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up on stage. You you had the opportunity to to be grateful for it, but I think there's a sort of detente between what the two of you were talking about here. So Ryan, you're saying you know sometimes comparison can be good because it gives you something to shoot for, and what Matt is saying is comparison can be toxic because it makes you so it turns you into this pinball that's just like, well, if uh, I'll do what this person says, no, bing, I'll do what this person says, bing, and then all of a sudden you're like you, you become directionless in a way, and, and I think I think where the the two converge here is maybe what Matt is saying is like. I really am comparing myself to my future self mm. in a way. It's the yeah. only way to live your life. As opposed to constantly like gazing in, in, in the rear view and, and saying, well, everything's screwed up back there. Well, like, yeah, it's okay to look behind you occasionally, but when we live in the rear view, then we're certain to crash. There we're- is something profound about like the person that I compare myself with the most is my future self. Oh, like, yeah. that's good, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the, and the idea that, um, comparison to other people you're you have such a limited understanding of the other person that you're actually you, you don't actually know them so you're not actually comparing them to because you don't know them right. you don't even have any Ooh. understanding you're just comparing of a moment they, of their lives you are you are yeah. comparing your moment of your life because yeah. you don't even know they might be so uncomfortable in those flowing clothes they might have a fucking the shingles underneath there and they might be so uncomfortable and they just don't show it on their face what's well, funny so downstairs you know <laughs> that there's the the mirror windows outside yeah so we're at this we work building here and um i mean the mirrors that like when i walk by i always suck in and look at myself walking like <laughs> but it's funny because I'll, I'll just work down there sometimes like i'm on my computer i see people walk up and it's it's one of those sort of one-way mirrors so i see them and it's always the most beautiful people who are scrutinizing themselves the most mm. and so like i see the people in the mirror and i'm like you don't need to look in the mirror. You are dressed perfectly, but there's there's this insecurity there. And then I see the guy who's 70 pounds overweight with the gut hanging out over his cargo shorts and he just goes strolling by because it's like, and, and you're like, the person who looks perfect should be, we have the confidence of the guy who's just strolling by. So, and to add another level to this, not to go, but like um, somebody who um, looks uh, pulled together in a way that's uh, appealing to us, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's work. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they're going to walk by and they're going to they're going to survey their work. They focused on that, right? So they're going to walk by, look, and be like. Hey, how did I do? I, what else can I fix here? Is this job, yeah. you know, just like we would if I'm a songwriter and I want to, or whatever. And so that it, all it is is that they've put the emphasis on that as something that's uh, important to them. And that's one of the reasons they look so good, mm-hmm. right? Is one of the reasons that they look so good is that they focus on looking good. That's the priority. And so, mm-hmm. so of course, they're going to be the ones that look in the mirror because they're che- that, you know, checking their, pro- how are we doing this? Is this good? I got this. I got because that, And that's why they look that way. I used to think, people just magically woke up and looked amazing and then social media has taught me that like beautiful people work real hard at being beautiful right but but you know if if you're not paying attention it has taught you that um beautiful people just wake up this way of course dude i mean how and the delusion of waking up next to somebody in perfect white sheets with the light coming through in los angeles and their like hair gets pulled up in the it's like whatever your thing is it's like it it meant that you can find that and you can think i don't have that why don't i have that because at my house i gotta fucking wash the sheets every week Mm. at my house i have cat hair on everything Mm. do you know what i mean and then i start to think to myself God damn! I don't have the thing where we wake up and we pull the sheets off, and then we and we get and have breakfast, and the t- plate looks a certain way, and this, and it's like, uh, yeah, you know what? 
uh, I don't want to do that. Actually, right. I just want to love the plate I have and the cat that shit on my rug, and I'm gonna live my life here, and 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 I'm gonna find that here. Yeah, we we read an article a few weeks back, um, and it was about like this girl who lived like all the ads from Instagram oh, yeah. for a week. So like she did this as a journalist, uh, so it was this journalism experiment where she you know, had the all bird shoes uh-huh. and she had the Brook linen sheets, and like what she realized like. As her, as she Instagrammed, Instagramized her life, basically, it became more stressful because then the threshold for perfection continues of to course, increase. You dude. don't, you don't reach that perfection, and then you're like, "Well, I figured it out." I right. love looking at vintage cars on the internet. I love it. I love looking at vintage cars, and I love looking at vintage guitars. It's like my two favorite things to do. Uh-huh. I don't want to own a vintage car uh-huh. because then I'm going to be bummed out when someone knocks into it. Then I'm going to be bummed out mm. when I spill something inside of it. Uh-huh. I just want to look at the fucking car and be psyched, and then I want to get in my Toyota Camry yeah. that's right. nine <laughs> years old, which sometimes bums me out, but then I can clean it and it's like we have to buy a new car and I, I talked to my therapist about this idea I was like why well, I'm gonna go home and after this tour I just want to buy a new car like I, my car is old we need it at some point and it's like and I just want to buy a new car what's wrong with me and he goes well that's pretty much you're telling yourself that you need to be refreshed mm-hmm. and you're trying to do it externally mm-hmm. really how can you find that refreshed how can you refresh yourself without having to go about buying something new, new sneakers, a new car, something that's clean, starting from zero. How can you not, because I don't want new sneakers. I don't want a new car. I don't want more shit. And so it's like, how do I figure out how to refresh myself without going out and purchasing something that makes me feel refreshed? Because it's incredibly validating to do. You know what I mean? But it isn't. It's a false thing. So it's like, it's fascinating. In fact, it it just adds to the anxiety. It adds to the stress because then, then you get the thing and it's fine, but then my car's new. But why do I? Why don't I feel new? <laughs> well, no, but after a while, somebody bumps your car at the supermarket, or yeah. it doesn't look as good as it. It's in a forever. It's a forever curve mm. of like God. I someone bumped my car, and that, and once you let that go, and you're just like, and no flies on people who can afford to buy a vintage car and have it cleaned and buffed and i love it like oh my god count me in if i had i still wouldn't do it if i had millions of dollars but i love and respect people who do my anxiety would be through like you're saying my anxiety would be through the roof if i had to care for anything external yeah uh, like that 89 range rover like I, i look at those and it's a beautiful piece of art the thing that minimalism has helped me do is it's helped me appreciate that without needing to consume it myself because yeah. i've seen a couple here in los angeles and yeah. they, they they do them up real nice but i also know they're probably leaking oil all over of the place course, and right. like like and the upkeep on it has to be ridiculous i can get my toyota and i'm like oh, okay the bluetooth works yeah, and now it's a hybrid <laughs> i can drive it without like i love it but that's totally it it's like yeah. it gets me from a to b and then I can get to B and get out and I'm not, I, I haven't spent more money than I have to buy this thing that's just taking me from A to B. Mm. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's just like, right. it's doing yeah. its job. I'm, I take the bus in San Francisco all the time. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier. I took the bus in Chicago the other day. It's just like, it's about paring down instead of ramping up. Like, like all that, that's why this is such a great podcast. It's like having a boat. Like I love wakeboarding, but even if I had millions of dollars, I still would not have a boat. Oh, dude, like, who, this was something that Pip said <laughs> on Howard Stern, which is very crude, but I love it. And my wife loves to quote it to me. If it, he said, if it floats or fucks or flies, I rent it. <laughs> that was her favorite thing to say. That's pretty And funny. I'm just like, dude, that's dark and amazing. <laughs> 
Uh, you seem to have a lot of fun at your concerts, man. I've seen you live a few times, and like, I, I, I know part of it that it can't be always fun all the time. But there's like, uh, maybe the times I've seen you, you get into this flow state and you really enjoy it. You are a performer. Yeah. Um, I feel like again, you found the right medium for you, which was music. But then live performance, like you're almost a. a a stand-up comic in, in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and you have a lot of fun with that. Um, why? Cause I, cause I can't, um, first of all, it must come naturally to me to be as an introverted extrovert. It comes naturally to me to perform on a certain level for a certain period of time. Uh -huh. So I really enjoy it. But the other part of it is like, uh, I don't want to do something that doesn't feel genuine to me. I just can't. Yeah. I have a, uh, I'm diametrically built opposed to doing something that isn't genuinely me, especially, I mean, I've done it before, but I'm saying like for a job. So when I get up on stage and I'm there, I want it to be so enjoyable for me that it doesn't feel like work and I just can't do it any other way. And when it does feel like work, it, it unnerves me and it gives me anxiety. I have anxiety in every facet of my life, except... <laughs> as I drop the water bottle except when I get on stage like if I do it right I get on stage and I feel like I got this this is cool let's yeah. do this what are you doing hey great I'm gonna play a song I'm gonna tell you a funny story like that is the one of the only places where I don't get anxious in a way would it be far more anxious for you if, if you showed up and those thousand people weren't there to see you but you just had to mingle with them would you feel a different kind of anxiety? Just depends. Yeah, I'd have to pretty much just steal myself to do it because I do it when I open for other bands or when I play privates or no, whatever. I'm, I'm saying if you were in a room with a thousand people and you just had to mingle with them oh. as opposed to playing to them. I uh, know it's not the music as much. I'm pretty good at human interaction. I feel like that's one of my muscles that I've got where I feel comfortable. Okay. So I feel like dropping me in a situation, like this is why I like hanging with you guys. Like I can do it. I can do it with people. I can bounce off of them. I, I genuinely am looking for connection. Uh -huh. It's something that I like. And so it usually goes, It you. it's usually, that's usually my field of expertise is like groups of people or individuals where it's about connecting. I just, it's just a muscle that I have over the years. It's one of the stronger muscles. It, it, what is fascinating is not just that your songs are upbeat, but like your shows, like if you weren't paying attention to the to the lyrics, you'd be like, this guy is just happy. And then you're, some of the lyrics are like, wow, okay. That, I, I barely caught that because you're having so much fun. And I think maybe the, the takeaway from this is you can have some fun within the sadness even, right? Oh, yeah. You can have these sad times, but they don't have to unravel into perpetual despair and discontent mm. they're just a part of it man they're, they're 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 the valley but they lead you elsewhere i think the biggest takeaway from this these talks we've had in these two podcasts man is like learn to embrace the dis not just the discomfort but the shitty things that happen in your life man like when you're sad like you know i, I know this is like a really probably weird example but it's almost like now I'm going to imagine myself as if I was some kind of spirit that inhabited this body and like to, to experience sadness and I'm going to embrace it and be like, Oh, this is what sadness is like. Like this is, Oh wow. This is an interest instead of trying to talk myself. Oh, it's going to go away. I'll eventually be happy again and trying to deflect it. It's like really embrace the valleys. And when you, you know, going with that metaphor, like when I'm at the valley, I love looking at the peaks. And when I'm on the peaks, I love looking out at the valleys. 
and it's they can both be very beautiful experiences. Indeed. Matt, I want to thank you for being here today, man. Oh, my man. God, you guys, this ruled. Thanks awesome. for having me. That was so much fun. This is great, man. I want to encourage folks to, to listen to your new album or listen to any of your albums, all of your albums, wherever you listen to music or buy compact discs, apparently. <laughs> There's an A-track version coming out. You're <laughs> such a hipster, man. It's so good. <laughs> it's called uh, Matt Nathanson Sings His Sad Heart. So Sings His Sad Heart is the album title, but I, it was beautiful what you did there. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful music. I think you're doing something meaningful with uh, with what you've created, man. You oh, continue yeah. to, to make meaningful music, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for what you do, and I want to acknowledge you for that. So thank you so much for being here, brother. I you're appreciate awesome, it. Man. Thanks for having me. You guys rule. Should this we should likewise. we play them out with the song from the new album? If you had to pick one, what would you pick? I mean, I'd play it Used to Be or Long Distance Runner, maybe. Okay. You pick of the right, two. Let's do, let's do Long Distance Runner. I love Used to Be. Used to Be as my favorite line from, from the album. Uh I have a PhD in the way it used to be. Yeah. That, that, that speaks to... Actually, so I guess we'll, 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 we'll play them out with that one because uh, that speaks to like the, the living in the rear view, the PhD and the way it used yeah. to be, man. Like Something you do not want. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> and and, and um, so, I, yeah, if we can avoid that, I, th- I think that is, uh, that is a necessary thing, but it's too easy to keep looking in the rear view because that's where comfort is and it's uncomfortable going where you're going or, or where you aspire to be. So Matt, thank you for being here. We'll play you out with that. And uh, all right, that's it, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you next time. See ya. Still got the same old number. Still drive the car you hate. Still fighting with my father. Still staying out too late. Still leave the back door open. Still let the dog escape Maybe I'm deep down hoping you come back to yell at me like you used to do You were right, I'm just a stubborn fool Who's living in the past When we were young and we were free And all your friends were friends with me Swimming in our clothes when the beach was closed Midnight on New Year's Eve And if you're having trouble, baby Holding on to memories I got a king-size bed and a PhD In the way it used to be I got a king-size bed and a PhD In the way it used to be